a Highline podcast. Happy Palm Sunday, Emily. Hope it was well. It was tremendous. I started my Palm Sunday with Beth Moore replying to me with my name. He just <gasps> tweeted back, Josh. Dude, that was so weird. I screenshotted that. It was wild. Wow. I think I'm a thought leader now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what that makes you for sure. <laughs> This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers. But we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to the pod, you guys. Good oh, to have you. Well, thank you. Well, thank the you. Pod. I like that. <laughs> I've been mm-hmm. calling them pods lately. I don't know if it's kitschy or not. We're going to make it catch on. It's not um, fetch. Don't make it fetch. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna happen uh what are you guys drinking this week what you got i'm drinking a hint water it's a fruit infused water and it's blackberry flavored it's very delicious it's i was very nervous to try these because when you hear fruit infused you think oh it's gonna be very watered down or not resemble the fruit in which they're trying to infuse at all mm. but it is spot on it tastes like a blackberry just in oh, liquid that's form. Yeah, well it's great. But it's not a sparkling uh, water. It's just no, water. No, it's just water. I, I don't love that. Nope. <laughs> don't knock it till you try it, Josh. Mm, okay. I am, as the kids say, getting high on my own supply and drinking the no normal people coffee again. Because, gosh Ooh. dang it, guys, it's a good coffee we made. That always helps. I may or may not have ordered some from you. I don't know if oh, you saw that already. You did. <laughs> it's already in the mail. Heck yeah. Uh, I'm rocking just a tangerine LaCroix. I'm feeling no caffeine or alcohol today because I got stuff to do later. But there you go. I caffeinated earlier. So that's all that matters. Mm, Very nice. Excellent. Um, After playing some theology roulette, I thought maybe we could do it again. I know this isn't typically the order we do things. Like usually we stagger each of us Mm, leading an episode. mm -hmm. So technically Mm -hmm. I'm like taking over yours, Emily. Oops. That's um, okay. But I'm a slacker, you seem so. fine with it. So, yeah. well, I mean, full disclosure, we are recording on Palm Sunday, and uh, the life of a pastor this week is kind of crazy. So, um, that yeah, is true. I have five different services this week. So, great. Wow. Oh, different ones entirely? Yes. Oh, can you dang. give me a quick rundown of those services, please? So, we have yeah. Palm Sunday today. We're doing a Maundy Thursday service where it's dinner and a show. We're basically reenacting the Last Supper. Oh, wow. It's okay. wonderful. We have Whoa. a Good Friday service. On Saturday, we're having Stations of the Cross, where they can come in and go about the stations and have a time to reflect oh. and contemplate. And then Sunday is huge. We're having our Easter service, followed by an Easter egg hunt and a brunch. And there's a, apparently there's some special presentation that they're doing for me. I have no idea. I'm very nervous. I don't know what it entails, but it's wow. very busy. Well, so, after wow. the week you're having, it sounds like... You might deserve that presentation. 
of whatever uh, yeah. that is. We'll, we'll have to see how successful they are. <laughs> well, please update. Well, for everyone listening in the future, um, happy Easter. I hope it was good. Yes. you already had it. So I know we threw out a lot of topics the last time uh, I did this roulette kind of thing. But to be honest, I've been thinking more about afterlife lately. Like my girlfriend, Elise, was just listening to our Judgment Day episode, which we like, we purposely did not talk about afterlife. But then she was asking me my opinions on it. And I was like, actually, that's a really great question. So maybe we should just talk about it. Yes. I feel like it's just kind of like this eternal question that people love talking about for some reason, even though it's Mm -hmm. like, it's very out there, just like Judgment Day is. I'm curious to see where we go because I honestly, I don't know if I have too many thoughts on it. It's like, it's one of those things like how, how do you talk about something that we can't, we just can't know? Well, I'm interested in that. And I'm also interested in the implications of having certain theologies. Oh, oh. okay. Okay. You know Take what I mean? There. So, Take us there. Absolutely. Um, so maybe we should start with like, what are your hot takes or what have you read about afterlife possibilities or what are you leaning towards? So I guess the ones that initially come to mind would be the concept of heaven and hell and then the concept of reincarnation. Oh, that's Mm. a good point. Those are very distinct. Yeah, those are really like the only two that I immediately think of. But I'm sure I know there's others. And I'm sure sure once we discuss, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) But so what if what have you read about specifically? Well. For reincarnation. There's this concept of a living being starting a new life in a different physical form or body, whichever, after each death. So, you know, in this life, I'm me, I die, I could come back as a bumblebee or I could come back as anything, a cow, uh, (laughs) a turkey, anything of that nature. A succulent. A succulent. I could come back as a... A blade of grass or a t- entirely new person. I actually know someone in my family who believes that they were reincarnated and the life that they previously lived was that of a World War II veteran. Whoa. That's so fascinating to Whoa. me. Yes. And I especially since World War II veterans like exist now. I know. And that like I want to pick his brain about tell me like what led you to think this? Do you have memories that are not Mm. yours of a life previously lived and they're not dreams you know it's it's actual memories it's so fascinating to me um but that's really all i know about reincarnation what about you steven what have you read what are you leaning towards oh also emily are you saying that you lean towards incarnation or are you just like fascinated by the concept i am so fascinated by the concept okay okay steven i want to hear from you yeah well because you've dropped a couple times that you're just Christian universalist, yeah, and we've like never addressed it. <laughs> I've and I've like I, the beans. I'm familiar with Christian universalism, <laughs> but I want to hear more from you specifically, like mm-hmm. how you make sense of it. Sure. Well, so in the in the way I grew up, it was either you go to heaven or you go to hell. And a good number of years ago, I started learning about different theologies about what hell could be like. To be honest, I do almost no thinking about what heaven will or could be like, or theoretically is like because i'm still in a place where i am christian universalist in the way that i don't think anyone goes to hell even if the place hell exists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like when i was learning about hell it was either you believe in like this eternal conscious torment mode of being where god sends you into like it's it's the it's the hell that has been cartoonized 
for years and years, right? And then the main alternative to that I started learning was conditional immortality or annihilationism, meaning the second death talked about in the Bible is an actual final moment for your soul's existence. So your body would die. Kind of similar to the way that, um, spoiler alert, about The Good Place, Mm -hmm. but sort of Mm -hmm. similar to how The Good Place ended. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right. But but the the final uh, dissolution of the soul in The Good Place is like, it's considered even an elevation from the good place, you know? It's not necessarily like you're burned up in an explosion and then you don't exist, right? Cause like, oh, sure. That's, the, the, that's the concept point. of annihilation in hell is that you do consciously suffer pain as you are being consumed by fire and by, mm, mm-hmm. you know, torturing elements. And then you cease to exist, like completely cease to exist. And that, first of all, like as soon as I heard even the potential of an alternative to eternal conscious torment. I was like, I'm that I'm that's the hell I believe in now. Mostly Mm. because I don't think eternal conscious torment is reflective of the way our God would choose to see beings live eternally. Mostly my issue with that comes with like what sin could possibly measure against the weight of eternity such that we deserve to be tortured for it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the typical annihilation critique of eternal conscious torment is finite sin does not equate to infinite punishment. Mm-hmm. Correct. But then reading and listening to some people who play with Christian universalism, which uh, kind of takes that idea, there is, I guess, like a purifying fire of sorts and that it is experienced as painful, but it does not end you. And it by the end of it, the dignity of your free will and your own volition to choose Christ's redeeming and like collecting work lasts mm-hmm. as long as you need it to until you make that choice. And then everyone ends up, quote unquote, in heaven, enjoying eternity with God. That idea to me, it doesn't cheapen the fact that we as humans do behave sinfully at times. And that maybe there there needs to be reconciliation that happens that we were not given the opportunity to encounter in our bodily life, in this life. And it it's needed for the afterlife, but it's not the end of life, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did either of you, I feel like we've mentioned this before. Did either of you read that Four Views on Hell book? Yeah. I have not. Emily, I know Emily oh, has. We've mentioned it in mm-hmm. the past. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was the other way around. I thought Stephen had and Emily, I thought you hadn't. Interesting. So, What's the fourth uh, one? I'm forgetting what the fourth, the fourth one, one is. The fourth one an author gives is a Protestant view of purgatory. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Which, to be honest, I wished, I came out of that book wishing that the two authors of the, the Protestant view of purgatory and Christian universalism, which both were like robust cases. Yeah. I wish they'd engaged a little bit more with each other discussing whether or not those two views were compatible because they seemed so similar to me. Yeah, they did seem yeah. very similar. It would have been nice to hear more collaboration and seeing if there were, in fact, very set similarities. Stephen, you mentioned something that I think is really intriguing about the whole afterlife conversation, hmm. which is I think a lot of people focus on and are intrigued by hell, yes. but there is not as much talk about heaven and i don't really get why that uh, is oh yeah yeah mm, or even if I, there's mm. if there's four views of hell where are the four views of heaven that we could start right. debating that sounds fun 
I would say more people are fascinated with the concept of heaven if people have gone to heaven while alive. Oh, uh, say more, please. Okay. Yeah. You have you have the you have the <laughs> like the one book Heaven is for Real and so many other books about people who have, you know, died on the table or whatever the case may be, they've gone to heaven and they come back and they share their experience of heaven. And I think people are fascinated with that and mm. and not so much just the concept of heaven, but people I've, I've heard enough of those stories. Uh, yeah, debunked, yeah. or even the authors of those books say, like, nah, that was all bullshit. I made that up. Yeah, but people are still fascinated by it. Like, yeah, our, that's a good point. Like, our understanding of hell, we were fascinated with it because it's illustrated so much throughout pop culture, I think. Whereas heaven, it's the idea of people just merely going to heaven and then sharing their encounter and not so much on the place or the realm itself. That's a really good point. I like that distinction. Like in the hell discussion, we're intrigued or have opinions about the place itself and its functions. But with heaven, we tend to be more more intrigued by like the individual's experience or whether or not mm-hmm. they did. So what's your take on heaven and hell? Oof. <laughs> hmm. Or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Let me ask a question. Would either of you be bothered if neither hell or heaven existed and literally we were just done? Nope. No. I think that's where exactly where I'm at. I think I believe in total annihilation, like Christian universal annihilation. Sure. I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone like actually give and argue that view regardless of the Christian text, mm-hmm. like whether mm-hmm. or not they're using it. But I don't see any problems with it currently. Mm. Yeah, so basically to say, like, if there is an afterlife, I hope it's like the Christian universalists say, but I kind of don't think there's an afterlife anyway. Is that kind of where you're landing? Yeah, exactly. I don't feel convinced from the text or from tradition that an afterlife exists. And that's even like without even considering like the scientific or rational parts of it. Mm, Yeah, good point. What does that tell? What is that? How does that inform your theology about the resurrection of Easter? I think that you can still like rationally believe that Jesus resurrected or are you talking about like potential for future resurrection and restoration? Well, yeah. So like uh, the Bible says Jesus was like the first fruits of the resurrection, right? Like he provided the the pattern or the way for us through death. So like, uh, do you think Jesus of Nazareth died again or like, is he resurrected and continuing in consciousness somewhere? It's a weird question. I know it's a weird question. Uh, I mean, that's a fun question, but I think that that's a different conversation. I mean, we could talk about whether or not that depiction was literal or metaphorical mm, in the first place. Sure. But I don't see a problem personally with like looking forward to the future and thinking about how the biblical trajectory is teaching us a way of like resurrection and restoration happening sometime in the future. Mm. And I don't see a problem with that just being on earth like the the bible talks so much about like a new earth being made yep a new kingdom yeah and jesus talks so much about like the kingdom of god being now i see it as completely compatible i don't see anything to be reconciled i'm jumping on your train josh i'm gonna i'm buying what you're selling i don't need the receipt (laughs) oh okay wow so do you feel do you feel there with me like i would describe it as like being agnostic about the afterlife like i'm not convinced either way 
Yeah, I, I think that's a fair label to claim. Well, were you raised that way? No. So what made you like change your mind about this? Like what what put you in this camp? I think part of it is one biblical interpretation and just having a deeper sense of language, of usage, of personal interpretation and knowing that it's okay to have an opinion or a viewpoint and then if it turns out I'm wrong, like did it cause me any harm if I was, you know? I would rather be wrong in in one way versus another. And it's just it's one of those concepts that it's so out there mm-hmm. that it's entirely plausible that I'm wrong. But am I going to worry or linger in that? No, I have my whole life to continue exploring this idea and where I'm at right now, theologically and spiritually, I think it's just where I'm called to be to discern more and to have further conversation with with people who have different opinions with me no Mm. i yeah i before it was this it was very much the pop cultural you know you can ascend or descend it was very visual you know you could either go below and not necessarily have fire and brimstone but you would essentially be below or you could be above um very horizontally focused um or vertically focused i should say yeah. and i i just don't believe that yeah it's it's three-tiered language which i think us as humanity had to get rid of as soon as we realized that we were on a on a ball that was circling a sun in a galaxy amongst billions of galaxies like it's well, not as simple and- as us living in the middle of like the heaven hell sandwich and i think part of that is as society we already have i think deeply rooted in our history this idea of being above and below so when you look like at a map for instance we tend to make the united states bigger and other continents or countries a little smaller so they're a below in the sense of size when really we know the reality is that that's not true and i think we've done the same with the concept of heaven and hell that heaven is meant to be above and greater and hell is meant to be below and lesser than. So are you saying that instead of heaven and hell being above and below, maybe they're just, they're here now? Like, yeah. Like as a present experience? Mm-hmm. Like hell can ha- be happening on earth today as well as heaven oh, yeah. could be? Yeah, and I think if you're to ask anyone who's suffering, they would say, well, duh, this is, mm. this is my hell. You hear mm-hmm. people use that all the time. I'm in hell. This is hell. I'm going through hell. We don't just use that lightly. I I don't think people entirely use that lightly. I think when they say I'm going through hell, they mean it because they are experiencing something that is less than thriving in mm. life. Yeah. Do you think just uh being afterlife agnostic cheapens at all um Jesus's words about eternality? Or like eternal life. Like Jesus talks about eternal life at all. No, not at all. I think it makes it more important. Okay. In the same way that like you would argue that Christian universalism, despite everyone being saved in the end, you would argue that that doesn't cheapen our time here on earth. It actually makes it more important. Exactly. Sure. Like I see in the same way, but like even more so because like if there isn't an afterlife, then what we do now here on earth is really going to affect generations to come and like 
matters even more because like we won't exist after the fact. Mm-hmm. Right. And like brings a whole, in my mind, it brings a whole nother perspective to morality and the way that our actions affect the world. Yeah. And you think in the gospels, Jesus was just being metaphorical with the word eternal then? Well, I think he was talking about eternal in the sense of like humanity continuing. Mm. Oh, Oh, okay. I like that. You know, like I don't, I don't think he's necessarily implying that eternity means after you, you die in the sense that your consciousness will continue to like existing. Like Jesus doesn't really get into like esotericism no, he in doesn't. that way. Like he doesn't get into like Platonist philosophy that existed in the time. Like kind of like you were getting at Emily about like that plane structure. Like yeah. people knew about that and he doesn't address that at all. He's talking in my mind, he's talking about eternity as in people Humanity. will continue existing after you die. Yeah. I think that's important as people discerning their faith and discerning their theology is knowing that that is if I mean, and we can't say it's concrete, but I think that would be a positive for us to look at is to say, like, this is what's eternal. It's this concept of humanity and human life after you and to, yeah, to live your best life while you can to ensure that the people after you are you know, taken care of or are in a direction in a space where they can continue to thrive and not have to linger in agony. Hmm. I also think it dramatically changes the conversation um, for people who think that the only point of being a Christian is to A, go to heaven and B, make other people go to heaven. Yes. Like, I think you could argue that that (laughs) happens already with a discussion about Christian universalism. Although Mm -hmm. I would argue that it can exist if, uh, even if you hold to views, other different views about hell, I, I would argue that you can still have that attitude that that's not the only point. But I think that this idea about like total annihilation just like completely focuses on those points, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think it does. How, how does the way, so you're saying the way you act in the world today is informed by the teachings of Jesus and the the traditions of, you know, of this faith. But as far as an afterlife is concerned, like you're coming back to language that is basically secular humanism in that, like, we just want to see the propagation of the species beyond ourselves. Like we need to be thinking sure. about future generations. It doesn't matter where we go. So why be Christian at all then? I, maybe I'm guilty of like, then what's the point if there's no <laughs> afterlife? But I think if someone feels I'm going to subvert your question a little bit. I think if someone feels threatened by the idea of heaven not existing, like if heaven not existing after you die threatens your belief in God, then I think that that belief in heaven was being put on a pedestal almost to the level of God. Like if your Mm. view of God diminishes, like if you're like having faith in heaven mattered more to you than having faith in God, Mm. I think that you were putting those on equal levels. Yeah. So to go back to your question though, like if no afterlife, why be a Christian? Like, is it the same as being a secular humanist? On some level, I would say yes. Like I can agree that in terms of just afterlife, I have the same perspective as an atheist Mm, mm -hmm. or a secular humanist. That like I, my consciousness will not continue after death. I have no reason to believe that. But that's not to say that like the rest of my worldview and like meaning for living 
is exactly the same as an atheist because like every other thing, like I'm still like participating in the story of the Bible points to Jesus. I'm trying to participate mm-hmm. in being a Christian, like in my everyday life. And that's the key turning point, I think in like what separates this view in Christianity from someone who is not a Christian, right. who just also happens to believe that there is not life after death. Mm. Like in my mind, that's the only similarity. And if we're so focused on the end point, like what's the point? Why why can't our life be the point? Like that, I've I've always been right. baffled by that question of well, what's the, why why does it matter? Well, maybe it it doesn't matter, but the fact of the matter is is you are living a life, and so maybe that is the point that you are here now, and that you do have this capacity to grow and to love and to be compassionate and to help ensure that humanity after you thrives. And if you've done that, then maybe that's the point, that you actually did try to carry on God's work in the world by you living. And that in itself is the point. Mm. You want to talk about the resurrection some more? Because now that that's all I can think about. What about it? Well, in light of what you guys are saying, I think the three of us do believe in the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that feels to me like it has a lot greater implications for an actual afterlife than it sounds like you guys are giving it credit for. How so? Uh, Name Like the fact that Jesus was dead and then was conscious again? Yeah. And that the, and that the, I don't know, even if you want to chalk it up to legend, it seems like he went somewhere without dying again. Like we don't have a record of like us burying Jesus the Christ again oh like you're mostly hung up on the ascension not just like maybe but i think the ascension implicates something beyond just total annihilation at death because i like jesus wasn't totally annihilated at death jesus okay oh Mm. that's a fair critique okay yeah i see what i see what you're saying and that's and that's to me that that is what the most robust Easter time theology gives me is that Jesus was Mm. the firstborn of the resurrection and shows us the way that like the rest of humanity will follow. And like the epic I've talked about it, but the epic icons coming from the Orthodox traditions of, of Jesus, like holding the hand of Adam and Eve and pulling them up from Hades or, you know, from a, a, a classical depiction of hell from the underworld. Like that's a, that's a, like a, a big plus one, to humanity, like elevating all of humanity through the resurrection that we have in him as an example that provides the way that the rest of the world will follow, you know? Mm, Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try to (laughs) the word scramble that's going on in my brain. I'm going to try and see if I can make sense of this. When I think of Jesus, I'm reminded of Jesus as fully human and Jesus as fully divine. And while Jesus, both human and divine, hung on the cross and died, he was buried. I think Jesus as divine was what was resurrected and that he, as resurrection, was showing us what we as humanity can achieve if we are not limited by the powers of death. And I don't think it was meaning in the sense of living eternally. I think it was meaning the sense of death of our old ways of living, letting go of those things that were holding us back from thriving in life and now turning towards Christ fully resurrected, fully divine and living t- 
towards a life where we can now thrive away from this this human part of us that somehow okay. got in the way of us fully living in the divine. Yes, but his humanity doesn't get in the way post-resurrection. Like, he eats breakfast with the disciples. because he's fully divine. Yeah. But still human, right? Like, the only reason Thomas was ever convinced that this was actually the Christ he followed the night before the crucifixion was that Jesus could say, like, look, I still have a hole in my side, and I have holes in my, my wrists, and I have scars in my scalp. Like, it took his physical human body... Maybe in a resurrected state, I, I have no idea what that means, but it took that it took the continuation of some form of physical humanity to convince Thomas to become like the evangelist to India following that experience of the resurrected. But Christ. we're seeing human form and we're trying to equate that to being human. And I think there's more to being human than just having a human body. What what is that then? No, I see what, what are you saying? I see then? what you're saying, Stephen, though. I feel like I align with Stephen on this. What's, like, what's human than not having a human body? Because like the incarnation teaches me in my theology that the human body is the thing that makes us human and that it's good enough for God to inhabit himself. Mm. Man, what a question. What right. a big... I had no idea that I was going to be the one coming out the gate about the with hypostatic these. union. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think we were going to go down this hole either. Um, Steven, I really relate to what you're saying, though, about... Um, I'm just going to let that question hang in the air because I don't think we can answer it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> in the time frame I, and the I limited think it's something resources that we're ne- we have. I think it's something that we ourselves will never be able to experience, and so it's hard for us to try to wrap our head around it. The only mm. person that's ever been able to do it is Jesus, and Jesus isn't here to answer the question. Is he not, though? Oh. <laughs> is he here in the room? Like, could we actually like ask? Because I guarantee you, if we were to all take a moment to like turn to prayer and to and to ask, we would all come back and have a different answer. Let's see what uh, Jesus says. Jesus, what what are your thoughts on this? Um, tell me, tell me what you got. I think uh, we have you on the line, don't we? Are you there? Okay. Okay. Oh crap! I, I, okay. I think he. I think he I broke. I up. think the connection I, is weird. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. more working with kids with disabilities which brings me me to me which is like oh man that was cool (laughs) yeah yeah i would imagine yeah brought tears to my eyes like i related more than anybody on my team because i i live it (laughs) yeah oh my gosh Zach yeah seriously that's so special yeah
What do you make of the communion of saints then? Why do we, why do we value that as a part of our Christian creed and Christian doctrine that there is like the great cloud of witnesses? Cause like I, I pray that when I pray the apostles creed is I believe in the communion of saints. And I, I think I could legitimately say, I do believe in the communion of saints. So wouldn't, couldn't everyone be a part of the communion of saints? Like that's, that's what I'm saying. I think we all have the possibility of, of striving for resurrection. It's just there, there are parts of us that we're letting go so we can live in resurrection. And I think this is one of the things like I was telling my congregation today of we enter this cycle of, oh, it's Easter time. I can think about new life. Um, but then that slowly fades away and they enter back into their old habits. They enter into their old ways of being and the ways of seeing the world. And it's like, that's not resurrection. <laughs> like, if we are to be mm. resurrected, we should mm. be seeing this new life and actually trying to embody this new vision that we hold in Christ. And I think that is what we can look towards when we actually claim the idea of resurrection. And so, I think the communion of saints is every person who has done that, who <laughs> has let go of their of their humanness in the sense of the thing that was separating them from being fully divine. Because we weren't born as Jesus was. We weren't born fully human and fully divine. We are human mm. striving for divinity. Also, I find so much richness in like remembering the Christians who have gone before me, like I don't know their names. Yeah, I don't even know my great grandparents' names. I certainly don't know the the great grandparents of my Christianity. Like I might be able to trace back, like the people who taught me and the people who taught them. But like beyond mm-hmm. that, I don't really know. Like all I can have is like this history and tradition of Christianity, and like recognize that there have been thousands and millions who have gone before me and like gone through the same questions I have. And like I find so much beauty in that. That's what I love about All Saints Day. It's not just the people that have the ST period in front of their name. It's it's the people of the church that I serve who have died, but they I see them as being saints. I see them as living this life fully devout and really striving for this new life and this rebirth and this resurrection who have gone before me. And they could be of any age. They can be any person. They don't even have to be people that I know. <laughs> I think they're a part of that. You know what I was thinking about today, actually, this is kind of relevant. Uh, we were talking at work about like hiring and stuff and like some people who have been there before and haven't been. And I like had this observation that I've been thinking about recently that it's so weird that in employment, you can outlast the people who hire you. And the only other similar thing that I could think of was like life. <laughs> <laughs> like you outlast the people who brought you into this world and both like physically and yeah. like religiously. Why is that weird? But like you, but like the people who brought you into this world and like taught you things like they still last through you. Mm-hmm. Like I am shaped by the theology that I was taught growing up. Even if like that person is no longer around, they, they're yeah. still shaping me. Oh, that's beautiful. So to answer your question, Stephen, I, I do agree with Emily that, I don't think the communion of saints concept necessarily implies a group of conscious beings that are actively observing the goings on in the world, but are outside of the world Hmm. physically. So eternality and resurrection is starting to sound mostly, well, mostly metaphorical or at least just applied to humanity as a, as a race or right. So like the resurrection is just the fact that 
Like sure. hum- humans die and humans are born every day. Is that what we're saying? Is that a way to say it? Yeah, I think that's a way to interpret it. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't like dug this deep yet. So this is a uh, pretty fun for me. <laughs> but I would, I think I would say yes initially. But like, kind of like we pointed out earlier, I don't think it's wrong to hope for more. Like, I don't oh, think. Oh gosh, no. I don't think anyone yeah. is wrong or stupid to believe in and hope for more. Like, to be honest, I think that that's like the definition of faith. Yes. Mm. Mm. Amen. <laughs> you got Emily snapping. I just feel agnostic about like more consciousness after this. Yeah. Okay. I guess I, I, I'm coming back to, I just think that, that our, our reality and our universe is mysterious enough. And I think agnostic is the right word for it. Like literally we just can't know exactly. with the faculties mm-hmm. available to us. Yeah, and and I agree with you that I mean the definition of faith is like man I I literally cannot prove this but this is what I'm gonna believe into and to me faith is uh like we always talk about faith being a part of or works being a part of faith like right like you yeah. you shall know us by our fruits so I guess in my mind like I act as if heaven is a real place. And I think that's probably like the most sincere expression of my faith. And I think, mm. uh, had we had this conversation a year ago or like a year and a handful of months ago, like I have no idea where I would have answered on this, but following, um, I mean, I, I told the story in our prayer episode, but like following a pair of miscarriages with my wife, um, my ideas of afterlife have changed. And this is why I think communion of saints is such a, such a holy and precious thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess because I am willing to just take it on some form of blind faith that informs me enough to act as if I will meet those children someday. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I think that that can still be a valid hope. Like, I, I also don't want to discount that, mm-hmm. especially in the way that the Bible like calls us to hope for more. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't remember what episode we talked about it, but like, there's this like charge in the Bible of like cling to what is good, but like hope for more hope for the future. Yeah. And like, I think that that like hope for an afterlife and meeting the deceased and those who have gone before us or passed away too soon. I think that that's like a legitimate faith that is produced by the Christian tradition. Mm. Like obviously oh, like, millions of yeah. Christians believe in the afterlife and that doesn't just like come from nowhere. And you don't, you don't think you don't hear that in me and think it's just maybe uh, like wishful thinking or just like I'm trying to create no. meaning out of something that created enough suffering for me to just like latch on to something that could, you know, uh, reverse it somehow. It's, Stephen, I mean, as, maybe, but that's just how psychology works. As a pastor, I would say you are in good company because every funeral I've ever done and every funeral I will done, that is a reality that everyone grieving experiences. Hmm. Hmm. Of wanting to see their loved ones again. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what even the relationship with that person was. I've done funerals where the person had passed away and their spouse, their children, their whomever had a horrible relationship with this person. But they will still come around to me and say, I I just want to see them again. There's something about this longing for and this hoping for reconnection Mm. that we long for because we miss it in this life we you know there are 
we had moments where we could have spent more time or like in your situation, you never had the chance to hold your your children. And I don't think there's anything wrong with people wanting or yearning for that chance to have that. And anyone that disagrees, you can come see me in my office at the church <laughs> here at Cody United Methodist Church. Office hours are Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 12. <laughs> wow. Wow. No. Thank you. Thank you, Emily, for those words. Uh, Josh, you mentioned that just being a part of psychology. Um, which Right. Like, I think we have this tendency to uh, devalue the emotional and the psychological as somehow not real mm. from the physical reality. And I think it's good to acknowledge that, like, whether it's the afterlife or something like depression or anxiety, like, if you're experiencing it, like, just because real. it's uh, not rational, I don't even want to say it's irrational, maybe pre-rational. Yeah. Just because there's not like a physical component of it that you can see and touch and taste and smell, that does not make it not an experience. Mm. Right. So like even if you are wishful thinking, like that in itself is a valid experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one can discount and tell you is not real that you're hoping for. You know what I mean? Because we are meaning making creatures. Like we we look for we look for that. We need that. So on that note, actually, I have a question um, because the other questions boiling around in my head, I don't even know where to begin. Okay. About like what it means to have like, if I believe that the universe is somehow panentheistic, what does it mean for conscious beings that are within God to somehow absolve back to God? I don't even know how to begin to answer that. So I'm going to pivot back to you, Stephen. And I want to know what, like how you conceptualize of heaven. Like we were talking about earlier, Mm. like we don't talk about heaven enough. And here we are 45 minutes in and we've like hardly talked about what heaven could be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you, as someone who th- hopes that heaven exists and that you'll see your loved ones again, how do you conceptualize it? Wow. Because I don't think Christianity gives us as clear cut an answer as something like Mormonism does. Like Mormonism mm, has like sure. really clear cut, here's what's in the afterlife. Here's what you can expect. And I don't really see that in Christianity outside of the like cartoonisms. That's a good question. Yeah, you're you're catching me by surprise because I mean, even at the beginning of this, I said, "Well, that's okay." Like, I don't I don't do much thinking about it. I guess if I was going to allow mm-hmm. some other uh, theologies to inform maybe what I hope heaven is like, I think heaven, man, is. Uh, I mean, like I'm gonna I'm just gonna take the the image of the the New Jerusalem, right, D- descending in Revelation, like. A city, a community, a diverse community of humanity, basically. And I, I think it's not all just like fun and games. Like I think work exists oh, interesting. in heaven. Oh, because what? I think you know, like because I, I think it's it's a holy thing to work, you know, to like work in the soil. Like Adam and Eve, their charge was to tend the garden before the fall. Mm-hmm. In in that kind of paradise conception, like work is still involved, like getting getting dirty, getting sweaty, like making things mm. as creative beings. I think we eat in heaven. Um, I I sometimes wonder if we have sex in heaven. Hey, <laughs> I sure hope Do so. We- <laughs> 
wait, what? You don't even believe in heaven. <laughs> hey, like I said, if I'm going to be wrong about something, I'm okay with being wrong about this. So if there is a heaven, That's I hope fair. we get to have sex in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remain married to the person you were married to on earth or do you just have sex with everyone? Cause it's, it's good now. It's fine. Well, now. me, me personally, no, I would not want to be with anyone else. Well, you say that now Aww. you say that now, but I'm, like, I mean that full heartedly. But what if, what if heaven gives you the same, gives you the same kind of love for every living being and not just Alex? I mean, Mormons subverted that question and straight up said, you marry someone at 19, you're married literally forever. Yes. Right. I, I don't, I honestly wouldn't. I just couldn't imagine doing that with with someone other than my spouse. It's yeah, especially and maybe maybe it's because now I am entering this role as a mother and he's entering this role as a father that. Yeah, I think there's something special with procreation and sex. There's something intimate about it. And I just I think in the afterlife. I would still want to have that. And that would be my little slice of heaven mm. is to say, that's, yeah, Alex, that's you're, nice. you're the only one. Oh, that's really nice. I know. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a tissue? That's really, that's really cute. <laughs> it's, that's, it's, you know, and maybe like, maybe there's fantasy of like, you could be with anyone. Mm. Sure. But, but my heaven, no, I like. I would want to be with like my loved ones and Alex is is my he's my everything. He's my partner in crime and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Steven, what do you think is different from your conception of heaven compared to your conception of earth now, other than all of the conscious beings mm. existing in one place in time? Because a lot of the things that you're saying mm. to me sound really similar to Earth? Earth, yeah, and I don't think that's a mistake. No, I don't think it is either. I like I I hearken to the last chapter of Revelation for a reason because I see a city come down to Earth. I don't see us go to heaven, right, or like ascend mm. to somewhere else, like or even like uh, elevate into another plane of existence. In so, in the Christian tradition, mm. to me, it seems that that heaven comes here. I mean, like Josh, you say the phrase all the time, like the kingdom of God is now but not yet here now right Mm -hmm. and it's the not yet part i don't know the not yet part is the part that i i'm holding on to the most throughout this episode where i'm like yeah we can talk about like eternality and resurrection being metaphorical in that just like humanity continues but i don't know i think the the our our world and our reality is mysterious enough that i don't want to cheapen the not yet part by saying like it definitely doesn't exist you know so mm-hmm. would the isms of our world exist in heaven? Like what do you mean? Would there be racism? Would there be heterosexism? Oh, I don't think sin Yeah, like is everyone without sin in heaven? I feel like that's what you're getting at. Yeah, um I I would I would probably be willing to say that there's no sin in heaven in that like my functional definition of sin is that a sin is an action or words or thoughts against another human being that actively degrades their dignity in the image of God. Sure. I don't think we do that. So racism, no, because we would see, see the, the common image and see the divine humanity within each other and not 
draw our lines. Like we talk about like every tribe, tongue and nation coming together. Like that's a phrase in Christianity for heaven. So I, I think that's where that comes from. Heterosexism. I'm really not sure. Maybe like the normativity of it, but like, mm-hmm. I don't think heterosexism is sinful. Like not every ism, like an ism is just, you know, describing a noun basically. Um, right. So that's why, that's why I was curious. Cause there's so many isms. So do we get to, pick and choose which isms we keep well the ones that well degrade another human's dignity go away but what about people who think that racism doesn't do that well they're wrong and in the like light- if they say i'm not racist <laughs> well steven you would probably describe it as like everyone who goes through like the the sanctifying fire or like whatever else happens on our way to heaven all of the things that are not of God, not the fruit of the spirit would be quote unquote burned away from us. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What about age? How do you make sense of age? I don't know. <laughs> I think when you start talking about. That's a good question. Yeah. I, have no I would also like to point out that like, just because there, we don't have like a unified, robust view of what heaven is like and like all the answers to the questions. I don't think that that inherently makes belief in heaven dumb. Oh gosh. No. I know I'm poking fun a little bit, but like, I don't think that just because you don't have all the answers, I don't think that that necessarily means that you can't believe in something you don't fully know either. Mm. Mm -hmm. Here's a question. Can we achieve heaven on earth and still be alive? I don't understand the question. Uh, I mean, I think some people will, but it like depends on like how we conceptualize of heaven. Like I think that our view that like the afterlife doesn't exist, which I guess would be a form of amillennialism. Maybe, maybe like the question mark, question mark, put a question mark in that. We'll save that for later. I guess like we would say yes, but it's like a different conception of heaven. Okay. It's like heaven as in like resurrection and restoration and God is drawing all beings to God. And like at some point, I'm not imagining like a magical point that we will arrive at. Right. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm just conceiving of it differently. I don't think no, I'm, I get it. That makes sense. I don't think I'm tracking with the original question. Emily, were you are you saying like where will there be a generation of humanity that experiences like heaven start without them having to die? No. Um I I how would I phrase my question? Josh, help me out here cuz we're or you are and you I... are you trying to are you trying to get at like are we actually able through God's help like if we assume mm-hmm. God is helping us. Um like are we able to on earth eliminate like the social sins yes, of this yes. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think if anyone is Christian, they should believe that, whether or not they believe in heaven. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like, I, th- I think that's why we care about everyday life. Like, no matter if the afterlife exists, that's exactly why we care about the health and the wealth of people. Like, not mm-hmm. prosperity gospel-wise, but, like, we care about people now. Yeah. And, like, it's because we believe God is eliminating these things in our lives every day. Mm. So I guess my answer is yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Wow. We did not go where I expected with this. I don't know where I expected all this to go, but uh, wow. This is why I like theology. We didn't even like talk about what the different implications of having different concepts of afterlife are, but I think that's really interesting too. Oh, like what? Part two? Like what? Give me, give me a flavor. <laughs> well, I mean like the obvious one, I guess, which I guess we kind of teased is like, if you believe that some people are going to heaven and some people are going to hell, however you conceptualize that, Mm -hmm. then your Christianity quickly turns into 
the only motivation to be a Christian is to go to heaven. Is to go to heaven. And like it very, very quickly gets oversimplified to that. But I can also admit that like, I think that like I've seen arguments for believing in a version of hell. And like, I know that those people are not just distilling the idea of Christianity and Jesus and resurrection and the gospel to just don't go to hell. Right. Like, I know Mm -hmm. that they're not just doing that. But that is, to me, that's one of the implications of believing in heaven and hell, Mm. naturally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I felt motivated by that before. Like, I've been out there witnessing on the streets, like, because I thought people were going to hell. And, like, the guy who keeps coming to Pike Place, (sighs) preaching with his angry signs, like, I think he genuinely believes that. Like, I'll give him his credit. Like, he genuinely believes people are going to suffer for all of eternity and not experience God's goodness after they Mm. die. So, I mean, that's just like the one off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's like, there's tons more like there. I'm sure there's like other implications of believing in annihilationism or there, I'm sure there's other implications in believing in total annihilation. Oh, yeah. That I have no idea about. Mm, yeah. I think for me, I think it, the vision of the new city, uh, I think the line that leaps out to me the most and the one that like just rests on me with this like weird degree of faith and hope I have in resurrection and in afterlife, which is kind of surprising to me. Like I had no idea I was, I was going to say these things, this episode, like this uh, is fun, Josh, cause you're revealing a lot to me, but yes. the, the, the line here. in revelation that gets me is her gates will never be shut. And mm-hmm. like in my mind mm. and not just in my mind, like plenty of Bible commentators minds, like the gate, the city gate is sure. only there to keep people out it's not to keep people in Mm. so if the gate will never be shut what are we saying about who's welcome in or not if not everyone who might at one point find themselves out the gate and need to come home like the prodigal son is always welcome home according to the father Mm -hmm. because he is that loving and that forgiving and that gracious and knows when it's time You've probably done more reading about this than me, but is the Christian universalist just someone who happens to believe in post-mortem salvation? Yes. Yep. Mm. And hopes for everyone choosing That's God. a very succinct way of saying that. Yes. It only took us 58 minutes. Well done. Uh, here's the real question, to, maybe to wrap up. Do you think podcasts exist after this one is finished? Uh, after this episode or Ravel or... <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. man. <laughs> I know, but that's that's why it's such a funny question to me because it's like, oh, as if as, so as if this podcast <laughs> yeah. is like the entire yeah. entirety of reality. Yeah. <laughs> well, I keep maybe you just proved my point a little bit. Like, yes, podcasts will exist after this one, but also this yes. podcast. I know, I know. It's just it's such a dumb analogy. No, but also the, it's a good analogy though because Josh, this podcast can be experienced by different people at different times, even though. It exactly. only took one distinct point in time for the three of us to line up to get on an online call to record it and to have the conversation. But now the Look experience of this podcast can go year like people will download this episode years away, maybe. Please I mean do. if you're listening from the year <laughs> three thousand and twenty one, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, do you guys have any closing thoughts? I mean, I know we could just talk about this for hours, but I feel like we should probably wrap up. I think one thing that I took away from this is just this idea of hoping and that if I'm mm. wrong about my perception of the afterlife, that it's okay, that if I'm going to be wrong, I want to be wrong for like the right reasons and 
that. If like if Steven's a hundred percent on the ball with this, cool. I'm glad I was wrong because I don't mm, think there's mm. anything wrong with hoping and wanting more and better. Um, That's fair. Yeah. I think I think for me, I talk and think about and believe into Christian universalism on a regular enough basis that I've like got it to sink deep in. But I have the opposite experience, Emily, where sometimes I think like, oh my gosh, if I get this all wrong, <laughs> like hell actually exists mm-hmm. and I'm going to be tortured because of like believing this, this and this, like, I don't know. Like I, I revert to the like worst case scenario of that kind of uh, mm-hmm. hope in a way. Like, I hope this is well, this mm-hmm. way because yeah. oh, like, yikes. It would be it would be sad and bad if it wasn't. But yeah, my my final thought, and I can't believe I can't believe this. I didn't say this in the last episode about heresy, but I want to bring it back to the <laughs> gates. Her gates will never be shut. And like what we were talking about with heresy, like theological gatekeepers, mm. it's when someone thinks that they stand on the moral high ground or like the theological high ground to just go and tweet something like farewell, Rob Bell. Like, okay, John Piper, cool, thank you. Like, you literally just shut the gate to the heaven that you are trying to preach. Mm. But our God doesn't close those gates. At least I believe that that God does not close those gates. And that's that's what we're saying in Revelation, is the gates will never be shut. As evidenced from the Bible. Thank you. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my, in our my own yep. little mini rant about gatekeeping and Rob Bell and Christian universalism. Amen. <laughs> Emily, I like your uh, your point about hope, and I think I'm going to end with that one as well because uh, I think personally, I'm one of the most optimistic people I know, and I do not think that my agnosticism about the afterlife detracts from my optimism oh, mm-hmm. about humanity and God's existence and God somehow being in relationship with humanity. I still feel very optimistic. I don't feel. I'm sorry if I like came across as like kind of doom and gloomy, like nothing exists after this, but like I still feel very optimistic. <laughs> Emily, will you benedict us out of this episode? Absolutely. Whether you believe in the concept of heaven or hell, reincarnation, or you're still exploring the idea of afterlife, just know that this is a concept that we are all trying to ravel out together. We may be wrong, we may be right, but in the end, we're still living, and let's just strive for resurrection and new hope and new life while we can here and now. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire Sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.